Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the podcast from the Marketing Minds at doconvert.com, where we talk about the current state of all things digital and how they impact home builders and developers around the globe. We're not here to sell you, we're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. I'm Kevin Oakley, and with me today, as always, is the ad doctor, Andrew Peak. We are here, episode 152, with Jen Barkin. Woohoo! I'm so excited I to have you. It's amazing. I love when I get to hang out with you guys. Great. First I still remember Builder Show 20. 16 2017 oh, man. I think that's when we first the, met the, when like, we first met hi jen yeah i'm andrew we, hi. we were like the kid <laughs> no we were like the kids with our on vacation with our parents kevin and mike <laughs> <laughs> we, are, we got to sit at the parents was that your first builder show jen not my first builder show okay my first builder show with do you convert yeah in orlando that year right yeah. and i was there yeah. just for the day i came over on a wednesday and then i went home on a wednesday and there was yeah. What's the uh, cocktail hour? Uh, Builder Tech, I think. And so it was like, yeah. it was, uh, what's that, Mer Mermaid or a little uh, Aladdin? It's a whole new world. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I have no idea about, about any of this. Yeah, we were memories. we were hanging out. We were we were the new kids on the block at the we time were. with D Convert. Now, now look, now at, look us. at us. And your we first Builder show with with Mike Lyon is, is an experience because he doesn't sit or stay anywhere for more than like no. five minutes. He's no. constantly... He needs to have knows a segue. Like the security people like, are the ones on the segways, but yeah. he needs to have his own because he's just constantly, he, he just can't even stay in one room. For it was, it was times. my test of can Jen be fine on her own <laughs> mingling <laughs> and, and networking and, and just be fine doing her own thing. Cause you're right. He's, he he's on the like. move. He's on the move. He's not staying put. Yeah. He's on the move. All right. Well, and also any new dogs, Jen, since we last spoke? No new dogs. However, I do oh. have another dog that is in diapers. So I now have three dogs oh that gosh. wear diapers out wow. of my six. Bless your heart. Wow. Bless your heart. And, and also on our last family call, didn't you have like a, a series of mass murders in your yard? Oh my goodness, guys. Yes. Everyone needs to in, know this and then we'll get to story oh no. time. In, in one week at my house, okay. I had... I have two dogs who were like hunters. They killed a snake, a mouse, a bird, a raccoon, and a, a squirrel. Okay. Literally, <laughs> they were, it was awful. I, I can't, just can't even talk about it because it was a baby raccoon. And okay. it was, it was like, very upsetting because then I had to, you know, dispose of the raccoon. Mm. And Jen, Jen, do you hear that sound outside? They got another one. Moving on oh, to story time. Uh, well, that's not story time. Woo, I like it. Moving on Maybe. to story time. <laughs> story time. There we go. Quick story on this. I finally uh, gave in and I'm, I bought the first season of The Office. It's always been on Netflix. I can't figure out how to watch it for free as part of a subscription. So I'm like, I just, I had to just buy it. So how many blocks. times Did have you, you buy it on DVD? I did not. It's on Amazon. So I think technically I'm leasing it. If you look at how you have uh, okay. stuff yep. on Amazon, like if they go away, I don't have anything. But how many times legit have you watched 10, The Office? 10, 11, 12. I'm not there. But then like, what's not fair is like, it just stays on and I'll fall asleep. And then we lose like three episodes. His but, subconscious has watched it the whole thing yes, 12 times, yes. but yeah. yeah. In reality, probably like. Eight. It is pretty good. That's good. Okay. Enough of me. All right, Jen, <laughs> you got anything for story time? Oh man, I always have something for story time. So as of yesterday, 
I have started the 75 hard challenge. I'm right. assuming you guys have heard of this. I have it's heard of it, but like I don't know that you can say you started because I haven't seen a social post yet with yeah. day one. Doesn't okay, count. Isn't well, that a requirement of 75? No, you have to post? no. no it, listen, it is not a requirement. Here's what the requirements are. Two 45 minute workouts a day. Oh, one awful. of which has to be outside. Whoa. You drink a gallon of water. You take a picture, a progress picture. Now, there will be no posting of my progress pictures, but you so do far take I can keep progress. up with you if we switch the words exercise to reading and we switch water to caffeinated beverage. Okay, well, there is reading. So the other the other requirement is you have to read 10 pages of a book. Okay. And then follow, you know, watch what you eat, you know, follow some sort of, you know, diet plan. So the only reason I'm doing, you know, I see your faces. The only reason I'm doing this is because (laughs) that's great. My daughter who is 19 Mm -hmm. came to me and said, mom, will you do this with me? She's home for the summer. She's home for the summer from college. Yes, all the time in the world. She needs something. Is she working though in the summer? She's working like three jobs. But oh, she came to me as, you know, because I'm always the one that's like, hey, like we should work out. We should do this. Eat better. Right. And it's kind of goes on, falls on deaf ears. Right. Like stop mom nagging at me. Mm-hmm. So I've just stopped. And so she came to me and was like, hey, will you do this with me? So, of course, I've got to rise to the, yep. I got to rise to the challenge, but it's really cute. She created a journal for us. We had to sign a contract. Oh my gosh. She put 75 post-it notes on my office door so that each day I can pull one off, um, after completing the the day. So what are we reading? Um, right now I'm reading the book of longings. Oh, that was the other thing. So we have to jot down what we're reading on our in our journal mm-hmm. and um, take our progress post. So ironically, this literally was, let's see, what's today? Thursday. This was Tuesday night. We had this conversation. Wednesday, I'm on Instagram and I see Jesse Suggs. Yes. Story that's saying, anybody want to do the 75, you know, hard challenge? Hmm. She had no idea that we were doing it. And I'm like, this is so weird. You know, what's also because interesting is how many days until the summit? 75. 75. <laughs> oh. Hey, hey, I'm going to be, watch out, <laughs> watch jazz? out. I'm be there to <laughs> ready to roll, kick some butt. I feel like there's a marketing opportunity that someone needs to create the 15 easy yes. challenge. Someone else. For, the, for others. <laughs> 15 well, easy. Well, there, there is the 75 soft. You basically oh. make up your own, you just make up your own rules and it's like, you Got know. It. There's just so many of these things floating around there because yeah. Jesse was also saying she, she did something else to just finished it. And that was harder than she thought, or does it ever get easier? I forget what her question was, but it, it, it's just fascinating to me how many of these different programs are floating out yeah. there. Yeah. Right I think now. this one's the more popular one. And this one was started by first form Andy Frizella, CEO of first form supplement company. Mm. But it's not, oh. what's interesting though, is like, so you didn't know that it's loose connected to him. So it's, it's like a soft sell. Like later, I think there's people that like our ambassadors, whatever. It's to like the, brand, the ALS ice out. bucket challenge for him yes, without saying ALS. And so it's kind of loose. It's like a soft, like versus oh. like any of those products that are like Told more you, in your face. Those marketers will screw you yeah. every time. I'm like, oh man, it's but, you know, even like the your... site doesn't say first form on it. You're like, oh, this is cool. So you go through him and then you get to the supplements because you like him. Cause he's like. I think his handle's like MF CEO or something like that. Like he's 
hard. Like, come on, <laughs> do this stuff, right? He's that that kind of guy. Interesting. Yeah. Well, to your point, Kevin, it's like, can't we just work out or just work out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it, it's like, yeah, just, you know, we, we always tell our online sales specialists too. It's like, just, just do something, right? Go for a walk. I was watching, uh, again, on Instagram stories. Um, somebody was like, yeah, I just, I, I do one mile a day just to get out of the house and move my body. And I'm like, yeah, you know, just do something, right? Just to... Yeah, clear yeah. your mind. Progress. Sure. Yeah, got to get yeah. out. Okay, and then we we took a long time on that part of your story, but I have to know more about your husband becoming an official member Those of angels. a biker gang. Is that what this note says? Kevin and Andrew, I have never experienced anything like this before in my life. Okay, life just so you just so you know, the official the official terminology is you start, you become a hang around first. So you start hanging around with it's like a, a plebe? club. Yeah, it, it's a lot. It's very like fraternity huh. style type of thing. Okay, so you you start hanging around, you know, going on rides, going to dinner, going this to club meetings. So however, to my brain. However, you know, they call the club meetings church. You go to church, but if you're not a full patch member, you have to sit outside. So you can only be a part of yes. the part of it. Okay. Same thing with the so, Freemasons and me. We have that same set up right now. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so cage. Yeah. I should, I should go back because this makes this even more interesting. I should go back and say my dad who is, will be 75 years old next this year is also in the club as a mm. prospect. He actually, okay. he actually got my husband, Andrew involved in it by talking about it. And then Andrew said, Oh, that sounds cool. So then, so He's been, Andrew has been hanging around with this club hmm. over the weekend. We go for a Memorial day cookout and in the middle of this cookout, there's an impromptu wedding that happens where one of the members whose road name is pothole gets <laughs> married, just is like, okay, we're going to get married. And oh, the story's preacher, getting better or worse. I'm telling <laughs> you guys, I, you just can't make this stuff up. Preacher shows up. All the patch members form an aisle. They're all in their cuts, right? Which is their jackets. Everything Here comes Pothole and Candace walking down the aisle. They get married. This is in the backyard of the cookout. No one objects, After, I hope. No, no one objects. Pothole, who is a, is a very, you know, what you would imagine somebody named Pothole looking like in, yeah. in this biker club, Picture right? Long beard. It was the most amazing. Hair. It was the most amazing serve it like service or whatever you want to call it vows it was awesome it was just amazing okay after that is over with the president of the club says okay now i'm gonna do some stuff <laughs> hang around hang around drew come over here take everything out of your pockets and i'm like oh gosh what's about to happen what's in his pocket andrew takes all the stuff out of his pockets he goes hey you see this envelope and he throws it into the pool and he goes go get it Andrew has to jump into the pool, fully clothed, pulls out this thing, and it's a letter saying, you've been doing a great job as a hangaround. Keep up the good work. And so Andrew's like, I just jumped in the pool for that. Like, what the heck? He gets out of the pool. The guy's like, go find this other envelope. He pulls this other envelope out, and it has his patches in it, his official prospect patches. So he made prospect. Of his life. Yes. And I'm like, what is happening? So then the guy, the president has this coin and he goes, here's your coin. 
and he throws it into the pool and he says, okay, go get it. So now Andrew has to go jump back in the pool, get the coin, gets out. One of the other members says, hey, let me see your coin. Andrew hands him the coin. He goes, you idiot. You don't give anybody your coin. Throws it back in the pool. Anyway, Andrew went in the pool three times, fully clothed. And they the whole rest of the day, they were just, it was crazy. Like they were making him do push-ups at one point. They, he had to wait on them. Like sounds, it's a whole thing. So, sounds amazing. There's sounds. so many psychological questions it, and comments I want to make because it, there's absolutely... Yeah, we don't have time for it. But what what they're doing is built into any group. So it's not unique to bikers, right? And it's not even mean. Like it seems mean, but it's an actual way that human beings develop a way to figure out, can I trust this person or not? Bingo. To be part of the group, to to pull their own way, to get done what they've been assigned to do. Or are you going to become a liability for the rest of us? So, exactly. You like hit the animals. nail on the head. It is, it is literally that Kevin, it is like brotherhood. Lo- like I can, I can memorize, I memorize what the freaking coin said. It's like brotherhood, loyalty, code of conduct requirements. But this is also where members. you announced that you're starting your own online sales counselor gang. I was going to say, and this is leading at the, OSC at gang. the online OSS sales gang. and marketing summit at the lazy river inside of the enclosure, <laughs> yes. there will be coins or something thrown in. Is that what you're, is that Middle what you, summit. you're saying? I think, starting, I think, that, wearing, I think that's where it. I was going with this. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you heard it here first. The summit. All right. Hey. Uh, Jackie Lipinski, get those patches ordered. I don't know where we're yeah, going exactly. to sell them to, but. Arm, skin. Or microphone. We're going to, we're going to put you through the yeah. ringer in order for you to be an official patch member. Just oh, so you know. Sounds. <laughs> What a new life it. you have. There'll be a Netflix crime docuseries about, about you guys soon. Maybe, I know. Maybe well, Mike, know. Mike was like, Jen, what's your road name going to be? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, do spouses get a name? Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I, think it, I think I should. I mean, really. You should? Yeah. I don't know if my story Is can Puffer's even. Puffer's an appropriate road name? I feel like that's what it should be. I mean, Barkin Dog. Come Barkin. on. Barkin. There you go. Barkin. Barkin Dog. Barkin's fun. Yeah. What story can follow that story? Oh yeah, go goodness. ahead, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll try. I'll try. This is more fun. So there's this attorney down here. I don't, uh, John Morgan, Morgan and Morgan for the people. He like owns, ra- he doesn't own the radio, but like radio ads, TV ads, traditional ads like that all over for years and years. You ask anyone and where we live, like who's Morgan and Morgan? They're like, oh, for the people. Like that's like his, his thing and his, it has a very unique style with all his ads. Anyways, I found him, someone shared something and it's on Instagram and he's also very pro medical marijuana. He has a lot of investments in that. So obviously he's pro long story short. There's a series that he has. It's called John in 60 seconds. He's older. He's in his, his mid seventies. And it first started out as just like him being recorded in his car. And then it later graduated to after like six, seven, eight episodes, I think it was. And it's only 60 seconds long on Instagram. It goes to him telling these stories and there's animations with him. And it's like a blend of TikTok and also kind of like a comic and one like it goes from zero to like, oh, this is actually pretty good and done and done well. And it just made me think of just like if you're making content, like getting started, if he were to start at the end point of what he is now, John, even though he has he's worth like a billion dollars or something, he has the budget to do whatever he wanted. But he started out simple, got started and then later just made it more, more, more interesting. Now, why more, like, more likely, he hasn't actually changed anything. He's just paying someone to he's, make yeah, it interesting he's paying, after Yeah, fact. he's not doing nothing. Yeah, 
the camera went from horizontal to now it's vertical, which gives him a lot more real estate and it just makes more sense on, on there. It's of course, I think he's doing it to build different brand awareness outside of just, oh, he's the personal injury firm that sues everybody, but yeah. trying to do other things and get awareness for the younger people for votes and all that sort of thing. But that's not the point. The point of the story is, <laughs> it was interesting to see like out in the wild, like, oh, here's like terrible production quality, just him in the car. And it's just like jump cuts. So just really hard cuts of like him talking to these seamless 60 second conversations where he's telling a funny story. And then it starts animating everything around him that fits the story. It's done well. Um, it, was, it was good. I, I shared it earlier today or yesterday or something like that. But yeah, so don't be afraid to get started. Yeah, just get going. Yeah, we well, all suck somewhere. Also, I was interviewed for a podcast that I, I don't want to promote just yet. <laughs> I don't think I'm supposed to say <laughs> more details, but I was listening to the interview E before me, the one that episode that had gone live to get context for the show. Cause I didn't know this individual really at all. And the person previous to me, this is, I, I think this is hilarious. Uh, their entire thing was about how to advertise more on the radio and okay. kind of that, that guy's approach of your goal mm. is just to become famous within your own city. And there's no better way to do that from a, from an investment standpoint than radio and billboards. And it was just like the antithesis of everything that I believe in. Yeah. So I had to follow up and I referenced a couple of times. I was like, you know, okay. Cause you hear things that were said in the, and I think this guy actually ended up not shockingly saying that he would be happy to teach people with his course, how to use radio mm. in their own marketplace to do what he has done. Right. That kind of a thing, which is why I'm not sure how much I want to say yeah. yet about the whole thing. But I feel like the budget would be the hard part. And maybe that's where you're going towards like, he, well, his statement was radio is great because you get three X your return on whatever, whatever dollar you spend, you get $3 out. And I'm like, okay, that's true after you've done it for three years and everyone knows who you are. But I don't think your calculation mm -hmm. is correct when you look out over that first year of getting to become yeah. known and not everyone has the cash flow to make that, that work. Anyway, little micro yeah. story. My real story yeah. is I've had a, I've had a, a re epiphany, if that's a word. This is actually how it is written out in the pre-sale without fail book. But I was talking with someone and their division president recently about the process of launching communities. And this, just saying things this way really made, the division president actually went and apologized to the marketing leader. I, I guess after I left, they said, wow, like they actually said, sorry, didn't realize what kind of a position I was putting you in. But everything in their pre-sale process was driven off of dates previously. And what we talked through is that doesn't work. What you have to communicate is it's milestone completion, not a date on the calendar. If the architects mm. and the costing department and the land department don't do their job, you can't just look at the calendar and say, well, we all said, you know, four months ago is going to be June 15th. So marketing and sales, you've got two days or tomorrow, and then you're going to start selling. You need to help everyone understand that it's milestone completion. That's how everyone else works. You can't start drywall until framing is complete or else we're all mm -hmm. going to be backed up. You can't just say, well, the date says. And so just a, a quick reminder to, to use milestones as a way to talk about um, the release process. Because it's not that selling is, is going to wait until that date arrives. That, that's what owner's fear is. If I give you two weeks, sales and marketing, you're just sitting there doing who knows what, and then you're going to start having conversations in two weeks. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is a, a milestone and then a two to four week period 
sales and, and messaging and marketing starts immediately or continues on what was already built. But your customers have to have, once they get a complete set of information, some period of time to evaluate and review that information in order for it not to feel like used car sales or to have exceptionally high cancellation rates. And so you're going to start calling your, your best prospects and telling people what to do immediately. But giving yourself a couple weeks of running room helps you to be more strategic, to implement more efficiently, and, and to ultimately get better results. So just don't, don't fall into the, into the trap of committing to a date. Commit to two mm -hmm. weeks after all these other parties are done, we'll get going. And in the meantime, you're building that list of an interest list and, and getting as large as you can with as much information as you can. But So in your opinion, I mean, it's good to have, you know, target dates, right? Absolutely. Or when you're mapping out like target dates, but just know that it's fluid. Gosh, as, yeah. as everything is in new construction, new development land, right? You've got to be fluid, but you're focused more on milestones of completion and then working from that. Right. I mean, I, I just got done with a call with someone on the East Coast who their community is not going to be launching until October. And this is the first time in the last four years, maybe two or three projects every year, where they've got all the floor plans, all of the preliminary pricing, which of course will be repriced right before launch, but they generally, it's been costed out. They've got all of the information and materials and marketing materials that they need. And so this marketer was like, this is going to be the best thing ever because I'm I, it's not going to sale until you know September October and it's it's end of May and I'm sitting pretty with everything that I need to that's know. amazing because that's, that's, that's well, the why is that amazing that that's amazing that's what's so frustrating well, that should be like normal but. I'm just you know in online sales land that's what we hear a lot is like you know we're uncertainty around it like what do I say we don't know yet like you know what I mean there's we're waiting you know so yeah. having those things I think, I think what I'm trying to say when I get frustrated by saying, why is that amazing that it's amazing is to me, it tells something about the way that other folks in the organization view sales and marketing when they're like, oh yeah, like I know you got the raw end of this deal, but what's the difference really is kind of what they're, mm -hmm. they're saying with their words and actions. Mm -hmm. Whereas again, I, I know I also pick on costing and land a lot, but when the land department just says, yeah, it, it rained a lot. Sorry. We're going to be two months late. No one says like, well, then how are we going to make up those, that, that time period? Or, well, your deadline didn't change figure it out. There's just this assumption of, well, there must be a process involved and you can only shortcut that process so much. Whereas with sales mm -hmm. and marketing, you can tell what kind of company you work with by how people react and, and communicate that. Because mm -hmm. if, if they just say, well, I know you, I know you weren't expecting it, but we're going to sell tomorrow. They really don't think there's that much to it. There's just a, a little bit less, what's the word I'm looking for? Not credibility, but understanding. I'm, yeah, understanding. How, how, how it really works. Mm -hmm. There's a word there. Mm. All right, moving on to the news. Actually, I'm going to transition over this typing sound too to say I kind of feel the same way. It's totally off script. But the 52% online sales contribution that you and Mike did, which yeah. we have a special episode of the podcast coming out of that audio. If you weren't able to watch the Facebook live, it hit me the other day. I was, as I was looking at that post again, that I feel the same way about that 52% number that there's still part of me that thinks we should have as an industry been at 52% like in 2018. Right. Like, the, why is that so amazing now? Like it should have been. Yeah. That should, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And I, I, and not to discount any of the hard work or, or, but I do think, thank goodness in that sense, we had the pandemic to get us to the point where any, mm-hmm. any other point in the future, if we look at a number that's 45, 40, we're going to be sad and that's good versus mm-hmm. looking at a 40% number and thinking, how amazing is that? And I'm like, it, it could be better. It could be more. Right. It should be more in 2021. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely going to shift our perspective, right. On, on how we look at things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, moving forward when so much now is coming through the online funnel versus walking out, you know, walking out. And we've been talking about that a lot lately, right? Like, should we open back up? What, how do we handle walk-in traffic? Should we, uh, should we advertise it that we're open? And it's like, not necessarily. (laughs) Yep. And Jen, you and I were on a call, a leadership call this past week with someone. And and so I'm going to pull this up too, off the script is I, I referenced this in an article that I wrote for ProBuilder this this week that'll publish, um, I think, middle, end of the summer. But when Tesla shut down the stores um, or announced that you could only purchase, previously you could go and, and purchase online or you could purchase in a Tesla dealership in, in quotes. like, um, And they said, no more buying in dealerships online only. But the quote that they said that they're, that a small number of Tesla stores will remain open as galleries, showcases, and Tesla information centers really struck me as mm-hmm. as an opportunity for home builders to view models and sales offices in a similar way, where I think there is mm-hmm. a slow detachment, not as fast as some people would have you believe, but it is gradual and it is happening, that the exact floor plan is beginning to matter less and it is becoming more and more a gallery showcase and information center mm-hmm. with someone in it. Um, and so do we want to prioritize for walk-in traffic any new processes that we make, or do we just say walk-in traffic if it happens? Right, it's awesome. Right, we're not gonna we're gonna unlock the door, you know. And if somebody right. if, if somebody walks up, we're gonna let them in. Uh, but you know, are we promoting? Hey, come by our model. We're open from you know ten to eight. You know, we're not necessarily going to be doing that. We still yeah. want the best opportunity for conversion is that that online sales appointment that has been scrubbed and qualified and expectations have been set uh, versus somebody walking in off the street. It's just, yep. Yep. I think that'll lead to some innovation on that, whatever that new model will be called. Like maybe it'd be, I think we talked about this a while ago, kind of like modular rooms and like, Oh, here's what this room would feel like. And it's all. Mm. My, I actually, I shouldn't like disclose this kind of stuff because boom, boom, boom. someone's going to take this, you know, million dollar idea, but that's fine. I haven't, I haven't moved on yeah. it in the month since I started, but there is a, um, television wall technology that is movable. So, um, there, there's panels, you know, that you can, you can make any size screen you want. You order them in mm-hmm. one foot by one foot segments, but to, you you could absolutely put those panels on walls that then mm-hmm. had movable portions on the ground. So you could you yeah, could like stand in the center and... of a space and physically make it wider or larger or any dimension while also projecting. So I, I stole this idea from uh, The Mandalorian, you know, how, how they made The Mandalorian using a tool called The Volume, which is nothing but screens in 360 and above you. And Creepy. incredibly expensive way to do it. But if you just had four walls at no more, no, no bigger of a dimension than 20 by 20, and the ability to shrink those walls physically to no smaller than four by four or whatever a pantry size would be, you could stand in the center of a space and have those walls, that physical dimension and what's projected change. Yeah, like 
you're that walking into so this crazy. home. So more money in that, <laughs> but then like imagine crazy. they go to this twenty thousand square foot building which has your designs like the entire like you're wild the whole time because you're like this is ridiculous versus pump them out of home and then like the irrigation is messed up so the grass is brown and you're just like there's all these other things to take care of versus just perfection <laughs> yeah 10 years okay now. back to back to man we're never gonna squirrel rant. squirrel okay squirrel, squirrel, squirrel. article Speed number article. one from probuilder.com the reality of managing leads in 2021 written by online sales one. coach extraordinaire jen barkin congratulations thank you yeah Tell i was us. so excited so excited to do this because as I was writing this article, I really was channeling my online sales specialist self and what I have experienced through my clients this last, you know, year, you know, and really try wanting to have their voice be heard through this article you know, really, because yeah. things are just, things are different. You know, it, it's just completely different. It's than so what the I headline, was going to see it for sure. The headline of this really is okay, boomer. So you manage an OSC. <laughs> is that, is that kind of where you're coming from here? <laughs> I like well, that headline. You said, you said it, Kevin, I but said, yeah. I mean, you know, just things have changed so much that we have to look at the program completely differently than we did even two years ago, three, you know, Kevin, you and I were talking about this. I mean, even the last couple of years, forget mm -hmm. just this year, but the last couple of years, um, it's completely different than it was when I was an online sales specialist. Yep. So you gave, you gave a couple different reality checks that need to happen. Mm -hmm. Obviously you can click the link in the show notes, go read the entire article, but, but just give us kind of your one or two sentence reality check. Number one, home availability. Yeah. Right. So you know, continue to be heavy lead volume, but home availability on the other end, we're, you know, finding things are sold out, you know, not much there in some cases. And so the messaging is so important on the front end because it's been like Groundhog Day for online sales specialists. You know, they're still getting the calls, the, the leads are coming in, nothing has stopped, um, but they're having to be the disappointment police by saying, we don't have anything. You can join our wait list <laughs> or stay tuned, you know, for when we do have something, you know, so that has definitely changed. You guys know that we've seen that this year a ton. Yeah. Yep. And also leads into reality check number two, lead volume, lead volume. Listen, I've said this a bunch of times, 200 feels like 400. So, you know, to, we used to say the sweet spot was 150 to 200 leads that one online sales specialist could manage. Yeah, that was great back in the day. However, the difference now is that those 200 leads, 75% of them are responsive. And that's or more. We, we were looking to, at a report yeah. that 97% responsive. Right, exactly. <laughs> so it used to be that 75% were non-responsive and 25% were responsive. Now that's flip-flopped. So you have people camping out in your inboxes, you know, blowing up your phone, they're actually answering you. They're actually picking up the phone and, you know, they're actually answering your calls. And so the workload has just doubled. And so we cannot just base our program on, yeah, we're good at 200 leads. I mean, we've seen people have 400 leads a month and I'm going, oh my gosh, that's like 800 in reality. Yep. If someone could somehow have all this and like data points of like, 
essentially online sales team bandwidth based not on lead count and Jen, you could be like, you're an idiot. That's there's no way to do it. But like based on actions and time, like just other metrics that give troop bandwidth and workload. Like how do you, aside from leads, how do you measure? Like here's the other five things that can monitor Mm -hmm. that give a bandwidth score. You know, I'm so, I'm so glad Uh you asked. I'm glad you asked that question because, well, if we get stuck just looking at the numbers, then Mm -hmm. we're, we're screwed. Because if we just look at metrics, like for conversion metrics, and we just look at lead counts and things like that, then we're not really getting the full story. So we have to look, <laughs> we have to look at, uh, you know, behaviors, first of all, too. So are we, what's our missed call rate? You know, are we not able to answer the phone? It's not that the online salesperson is terrible. It's probably because there's a bandwidth issue and they have too many calls. Yeah, so the that's, calls are twice as long. Or exactly, three times, they're talking more. Sometimes you want that and sometimes you don't. This is why a manager or a coach is extremely helpful because- the thoroughbred racehorse does need the jockey to ultimately get to its peak performance potential. Yeah. Because yeah. sometimes you want that horse to go faster and sometimes you want to go slower. And if you just let the horse decide on their own, uh, th- they're so focused on what's right in front of them. So, so I don't know if that analogy is score. Jen. The horse being the online sales specialist. Yes. Or 75 hard. <laughs> you, can, you can do 75 hard. You can't do 365 hard. Online sales specialists will say they're, you know, oh, I'm fine. I'm good. I want the leads. Like, you know, everything's good. Like, don't, don't peek under my hood, right? Too much. But that's sometimes the case. But when we start looking behind the numbers and we start kind of having those conversations and look and listening to calls and also following what is our customer experience like right now? Like, are, are our customers waiting days before there's a response? Are we missing calls? You know, so Andrew, your question of, you know, what else are we looking at? Like, those are the things that you got to kind of dive into to see, are we being successful? Because if we rely just on the metrics, everybody is successful right now. And, you know, also is my online sales specialist burnout, you know, looking for the signs of burnout, um, you know, when, you know, you start looking at those things and you start asking the questions of, you know, tell me about this. I listened to your call. You know, you don't sound, you think something's wrong, you know, like diving a little bit deeper into that because those things will start affecting your customer experience. And that's definitely what we don't want to happen. Yeah. And I think that's what, with the, with the horse and the rider analogy, what I'm thinking of is an onsite agent, um, typically has blind spots about the physical model location and community they work in every day. The, the challenge of why is that flag faded? Why does the front door need painted? Why does this room smell right. terrible? And the, the sales rep who goes there every day and is in it becomes desensitized to that. Mm, That's yes. kind of my, my point of having an outside perspective from a manager mm-hmm. or another OSC or a coach like, like Jen, Jesse, or Mike is, I don't know that, on your own as an online salesperson, it would be easy to identify that, okay, I need to slow down and actually spend intentionally more time on the phone to combat the buyer stress that I'm being faced with Right. versus feeling like I've been going, 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 let's just keep it rolling. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that, that's kind of the analogy I'm thinking of is yes. what are the things that an online salesperson can become desensitized to simply because you're in it and doing the, doing oh. the job the best you can, but you still just... Yeah, exactly. You know, 
I love that you said this because I, I think I'm driving with you. I think I know where you're going with this. It's like That's when good. I, I talk to some. Like when you were talking, here's what I was thinking. I'm thinking about the online sales specialist right now that says things are slow. And I, and I look at the numbers and I go, but you had 800 leads <laughs> and you have some overdue activities. And when was the last time you actually picked up the phone to like make a prospecting call? Mm-hmm. And so you get desensitized because you're, you've run so hot for so many months yeah. that a, a dip right now seems like it's slow, but it's like, you've kind of forgotten like, what are the things that you're supposed to be doing outside mm-hmm. of just being reactive all the time? And sometimes yeah. you're not even sure which things you're allowed to change on your own. Meaning, yeah, I know you guys had to go to a lot of folks who were getting suddenly 1,200, 1,500 leads a month. Like, yeah. hey, we need to pare mm-hmm. back the communication. Yeah. But I, again, I don't know that an OSC on their own would be like, I'm just going to turn off this and that and, and hope no. you know, they need someone to say, that's a good idea. Right. We should consider that. Yeah. Well, and, and especially any online sales specialist that came into this role this last year, you know, you're right They're They have no clue like what a, you know, full, you know, engagement type of process is right. Because we haven't had to do that. You know, we haven't really had to call three times in one month. That'd be a tough transition. We won't get into that. I was like, I feel like not another... isn't the right word because <laughs> they're working extremely hard right now. But like, if you get used to oh, like, yeah. extremely yeah. responsive people and then saying 2023, you're like, what's wrong with people? Like I have yeah. to call seven times. What? Yeah. Well, you know, I was talking to Our a team. team. Yeah, I was talking to a team last week that said, you know, we're feeling like we're to the point where we really want to start adding some personalization back into our follow-up, what do you suggest? And I said, it's really simple. Just add your phone calls and your video email back in. Like just pick up the phone and call and make outbound contact with your voice and do a personalized video email in your follow-up process. Don't overthink it. Like, you know, we just, and when you get that engaged person, turn on the charm and really you know, make sure you're nurturing and you're creating a good customer experience for them. And it's as simple as that. You'll win every time. So. Love it. Two, two more reality checks that you need to know by reading the article, but we got to move on because we we're have talkers. so many other things to talk about. And I, I think there's going to be more good conversation. Unfortunately, I think the next one we're going to have to cut short too is, is actually a professional builder article written by Bob Schultz entitled escalation clauses in your contracts. Yay or nay. And we'll, we'll, we'll jump right to it. There's just a particular instance here because I think he has a lot of good points that, that are worth conversation. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, but he said a few days later, so they, a builder that apparently he worked for implemented an escalation clause of up to 5%. And he met with one buyer who would make all the difference. A referral from the first group of sales, he was ready to purchase, but had a real issue with the new escalation clause. I tried my best to explain it. It was not our intent to raise the price and gave him the reasons we might have to. He looked at me and softly said, Mr. Schultz, I want to trust you, but do you expect me to believe that a company of your size will not raise the price if you are contractually able to? You obviously have been successful in your grand opening. Why don't you just raise the prices 5% now and be done with it? And then he says, mm-hmm. basically, so he just scratched out and said, price increased by 5%. <laughs> and yeah, the customer just scratched was, out the verbiage and just, yeah. The customer was happy with the certainty that was provided of this is just what the price is. 
And then the sales manager or, or division president, whoever was happy just to be able to get that 5% higher. So I think there's a valuable lesson in there. Again, I go back to the tools are always on the shelf and an escalation clause is one of those tools, but, but how do we know when to grab what tool? And I think what he's railing against is there's a whole bunch of people whose automatic response was, this is, this is the one and only or the best tool f- for this situation. And I think he's correctly trying to challenge and push back and say, don't be lazy about how you're thinking about this. However, uh, with all love and respect, I also think that January through March of this year, this still would have been an in- incorrect way to handle it because 5% wouldn't have been enough. And that's what mm-hmm. a lot of builders who have continued to sell without escalation clauses, but simply having, well, we raise prices by 1%, 2%, 5%, whatever. Now, a lot of them on calls are routinely saying, but it just wasn't enough. And so now they're trying to push price even further to make up on margin that was lost because they don't want to cancel people. They don't have language in their contract to have those conversations. So I think, again, it's just the right, the right tool can be different by builder, by marketplace, by time. Um, I just thought it was a, a really good article that, that Bob wrote, but also to kind of reiterate again, that doesn't mean that just raising your price by 5% or some number in every instance will be the right answer either. Because I think, again, January through March, when almost any price would sell um, the, the, and the costs were, were going up. So, yeah. I mean, one builder we talked to just, hey, my lumber package from yesterday to today, today is $40,000 $40, more in terms of not not just the wood, but the entire cost to frame and get something uh, kind of kind of weatherproof. Yeah, it's not five percent of any. Well, it might be. Yeah, but but, but back, you know, it's be. like That's how part how, how could you predict it, right? Like to your point, it's like how how would you know what what was going to work and what wasn't going to work? It's it's like <laughs> you learn from it, you know, going forward. You know, I mean, I get it. Like, I see. I can see why you would yeah. I think his story, I don't know if he says the year, but again, if this was back in 2012 or 2013. Were, oh, no, no, no. It's back. Right? The homes were 17,000. This is like. Yeah, it was. Long okay, so, so again, my point is, who knows if, if a builder tried to just say, hey, we're going to use an escalation clause in the year 2009. Yeah, that would be weird because it was 2009. Why would you do that? You should just put right. the price to be where it is. Yep. Right. But my point again is everyone wants to just give us the one answer, the one point in time. I don't want to say it just depends because I think that's also a huge cop out to just say it depends. Who knows? Any answer could work. No, there are always parameters that you can think through. But anyway, good job yeah, on the article. These, these contacts points number six and seven. There's a list at the top. I thought were super cool. Definitely check those out. Six and seven. Okay. Moving on to... <laughs> CNBC.com housing boom may be cooling as weekly mortgage demand drops again. And this is uh, I need a head fake sound effect because I think what people don't seem to be understanding is that that one sales last year were stronger. So the comparison that we're making year over year is not a great one because it, it does strike me that the existing home market was slower to realize what was happening uh, in terms of this is going to be okay and go well New constructions, for some reason, seem to pick that narrative up sooner in the data. But one, we're comparing against time periods that were exceptionally strong, and there just hasn't been enough homes that have hit the market. So while the headline wants you to believe that it's all based upon interest rates going from 3.17 to 3.18, I know. Chick-fil-A sandwich a month. At the end of the day, it just comes down to there is not enough to purchase around the country. I don't know how they say like low inventory continues to 
lower demand for mortgages or whatever sounds smarter than what I just said, but <laughs> that obviously wouldn't have as much clicks or something. Um, this right. is definitely more doom and right. gloom. Right. Doomsday. Well, <laughs> if we have time, I don't think we will, but maybe on another episode, I do want to share what I think by, cause I love predictions. That's just fun for me. Oh. Um, I do have a prediction for what the black swan event is likely to be, or you can, uh, troll on my Twitter. I'm going to troll your Twitter. There. Yeah. Uh, from yeah. techcrunch.com, Katera, the soft-backed, soft-bank-backed construction giant Katera is said to be shutting down after raising billions. So after burning through more than $2 billion in funding, Katera has told employees that it will be shutting down operations, according to a report in the information. Uh, last year, the company claimed it had more than 8,000 employees globally. So quick history lesson, SoftBank, uh, same company that was connected to WeWork. And uh, so they have a vision fund. They heavily invested in what they felt like would be disruptive. Uh, Uber and DoorDash, I think. A ton of different companies they invested in. The whole idea was to be massively unprofitable, but disrupt the space and then pull off an Amazon and become highly profitable on the other end. Katera was the poster child when they first came out of the most modern manufactured housing approach there could be. So state-of-the-art equipment, state-of-the-art processes, Silicon Valley-like thinking, and we're going to solve all the problems that these idiot builders just don't know how to solve because they're old school. So there's been a lot of interesting conversation online and on social media of, you know, some people, quote-unquote, dancing on the graves of Katera and just kind of gloating that obviously it's not as easy. Other people saying, we need to you know, mourn Katera because what this industry needs is just more innovation. No one really wants to talk about why they went bankrupt, which I find interesting. Like what yeah, was, that was the thing? That, that was my question. That was my question. Like what, what happened? So they just got, <laughs> I mean, they got a $200 million bailout from SoftBank um, at the end of last year, I think. So, I mean, just recently they plowed a whole bunch more money in to try to keep it afloat. I have a hunch. So, you know, manufactured housing, there's a couple efficiencies that you're getting, but the biggest one is on the labor side of the equation. You're you're reducing your labor costs by having more automation as part mm -hmm. of the in a controlled environment. Mm -hmm. My hunch is, and I'm totally open to being wrong, or for anyone from Katera to come on the podcast and talk to us more about it is, you think about what commodity prices have done to home builders who are traditional home builders. If you are trying to, you know, sell a product as Katera, hey, we'll build this building. And we think because of efficiencies and labor and technology and everything else, we can deliver the units for this to your site. And then every material price goes up by 185%. I think you have to pull the plug. I don't think you can, you know, builders, you think about the number of builders who have gone back and said, hey, contractually, we're going to renegotiate or we're not going to start your home. But if you're doing an 800 unit apartment complex, that's been a couple of years in the making. And I think commodity prices probably were the thing that said, we can't chase this through to the other side of becoming profitable again. We'll actually lose less money if we just pull the plug. That's my hunch. Interesting. Here's but I, hope someone, I hope someone actually tells us why, because manufacturing yeah. housing does offer some solutions to some problems and does seem like a potential um, way for, th for some things to get better. But for mm -hmm. now, Katera... Is is the and this is a question I have no idea the answer to, and this is just out there. Is the innovation or disruption in this based on the process of building or on the product? 
to change. Like, does that make any sense? I'm in my head here. I like on you what might have people to say it purchase, again. What people are purchasing is where the innovation and disruption for housing will come from, not from how it's built. Like that seems to be all process oriented versus like mm-hmm. if we could change what people want in a home, we so can there's then definitely change a connection the there for that. You're you're like trying to the, slow this podcast down, which I'm okay with. I am, I am. Um, but I I can't I can't I can't leave it now because there is definitely a connection. You can't automate or over engineer a process for something that has high variability. Yes. Meaning the same reason that buy now doesn't work for home builders because they don't have an organized enough database. To, to project onto the front end of a website to accurately say, here's all the options and all the pricing all in real time, because no one wants to say, we only have three floor plans with five options each, like a, exactly. like a Tesla. Yep. So, so there is definitely that connection of we can only make the process so efficient if we can't control or predict better what people want and curate the process. That That's definitely true. Yeah. But the other thing going, that your question like, made me think about more is- More limited choices, something different. Mm-hmm. on the it'd be a whole different life i guess is what the innovation and disruption would be it wouldn't be me in a two-story home that's whatever feet in a gated community it's like definitely not in a custom waste. home either. it's not custom no it's here's your box but it's four dollars but I think like, $4. is it like pick your house out of a sears catalog it's it's got to yeah. be closer like to Tesla. that <laughs> it's got to be closer to that for sure and that's yeah. you know ikea's got their their little yeah, accessible like dwelling IKEA. that they're selling now yeah, yeah versus custom furniture i think the reason that some people do want to dance on katera's grave though and i there's parts of me that that do a little bit lean towards that is just like we work from the beginning you'd go to their website when katera first launched and it was this incredibly impressive slick looking video montage of you know almost no humans and how fast and we're going to go to mars and it was and even some of the articles that i read said one of their downfalls from the outside might have been that they just thought they were better and smarter than everyone else. And <laughs> that that probably works better when you're only working with information in, in a digital yeah. space. But when you actually got to go start building things with humans and materials, that's where yeah. some of the like, see, this wasn't as easy as mm-hmm. you thought it was, was it comes out. Yeah, they should just bought a builder and then pushed it. Yeah. You're, you're talking, they should just do what Clayton is doing, you're saying. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. Uh, SearchEngineLand.com. Wrapping up here, a couple quick articles, and then we'll, we'll be done. Uh, the Google June 2021 core update is rolling out. Ooh. Ooh, scary. Where's my... Super and, spooky. And we threw this in here just as a reminder that whenever um, agencies, companies, publications put up a post like this, it's just meant to get you to click and be scared. What can you actually do? The answer is almost always, Andrew. Uh, day nada, nothing. You could do nothing. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? Uh, yeah. It, this is SEO. If I Google Google June 2021 update, guess who pops up this article? So in my mind, they wrote this just to get the click, just to get the volume traffic to their yeah, site. Yeah, it's the SEO people doing SEO. It's Great the SEO. Point. Yeah, exactly. Yep. There's no uh, action other than watch your stuff, but then no one will know why your rankings change until... Yep. A week probably Ooh, into good. it. Good. I'm glad you told me that because I was about to get on <laughs> get on this. Yeah. Joe's right. getting nervous. So so for those of you yelling at your device <laughs> right now saying there's more to SEO and, and Google than that, <laughs> you're absolutely right. And that's why we have entire episodes and entire pieces of content around it. But in terms of this specific update, what you're supposed to do to prepare or adjust, the answer is 
continue making great content for humans and then optimize yeah. it for, for machines to be able to read that it. That seems to be it. the common denominator for like the past 20 years. Great yep. content. Yep. Yep. And then everyone's favorite social media network, just kidding. Um, yeah. LinkedIn, also from searchengineland.com. LinkedIn introduces event ads uh, and boosted posts. So hmm. does it's the world like, really need any more event ads showing that two people are interested and no one's attending? Do we need probably, that? Andrew? Probably not. I don't think <laughs> so. Just like we don't need any more challenges, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, no more exactly. Challenges. No more challenges. What I thought was funny <laughs> on this was I think most people listening, if you've tried LinkedIn ads, you're like, this platform is terrible. The prices are awful. Yeah. And this, I saw this. And I'm like, why didn't LinkedIn start here? Like, yeah. this is the simplest. This is what Facebook started with booster post. Like, and I, so I think we'll probably test this, like with our, our sure. things, like we just throw $10 at it and, and then we start, oh, cool. We'll just spend $200 a month. And then we slowly get the spend in the versus right now, making a campaign with LinkedIn is terrible. And it's now, it, almost it's every time awful. it doesn't spend the money you give it. That's yes. how terrible of a, if you can like, think about the worst way to build an, an ad platform. We need to be able to like <laughs> add, add employees to the business page, target p- connections of employees boost the post. Yeah. I think boosted we, post is definitely the, the highlight here. Yeah. Um, in terms of, of innovation, it's, just, it's backwards. I thought it was funny, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how, how effective they are. Yep. Yep. Okay. Uh, let's go to question of the week, which this one was actually submitted by a, a new member of the Facebook group but I think might be the most popular post of 2021 so far. I, I loved it. Yeah, it was good. I love, I love that question. Abraham, if you're listening, if you now, because I'm pretty convinced, I don't know how you found us, but I don't think you listened to the podcast first. So every, just so you know, anytime someone requests to become a member, I do creep on you first, try to figure out what the heck's happening here. Are you a builder? Do you just want to sell to builders? What's going on? Yeah. And so I knew this person wasn't connected to a home builder directly, seemed to be like iron metalworking background. And I just was feeling happy and kind. And I said, come on in Abraham. And then immediately he asked this post and I was like, is this person just wanting to like get hired or looking for a job? What's happening? So it is good. Good. Like Kevin, just let go. You don't have to work. So this is his question. Do you believe you can teach train someone to be a great marketer that has zero marketing experience and zero marketing education or background? Would you ever consider bringing on a new hire that shows great potential and a personality for learning the market, but has absolutely zero experience. And 21 comments later, the summary answer is basically yes. Basically. Yes. All day, every day. I might've been more on the no side, but I still said yes. (laughs) Really? You were more on the note. I I said yes. Only caveat being, what is the role? Who will manage and mentor them? Are they a self-starter? Can they learn on their own? Mm, Right. It just depends on, I was like, it depends, but yes. I think generally speaking in every position, we we know the fact that most people aren't working in the thing that they went to school and got their major in. So you got to start somewhere. (laughs) The, the caveats, which I, I agree that I do have some caveats and I gave some of them would be if you have an immediate terrible need for something, you're not going to hire someone with no experience unless that's all you can afford. So those opportunities certainly exist. I don't know if it was someone with no experience, you always want to hop into that. You'd want to make sure it's the right company and the right culture that they're throwing me into a, a firestorm here, but it's going to be worth it on the other end. Yeah. You know, if I needed someone to, for example, 
figure out how to do competitive analysis and choose pricing for options and base floor plans. Uh, I'm not giving that to someone brand new, right? right. You're going to have someone uh, right. put through the paces first. Uh, and then my other caveat was that I, I would want to see a high level of drive and commitment already. Meaning, you know, when I, in 2003, going to work for a builder fresh out of school, knowing nothing about real estate or housing, there was no great YouTube content. There were no blog posts from people no. saying, here's how to do things. So that's my only other pushback there was, you know, absolutely. I, I, I'm not a marketing major. I just read books and, and got my hands dirty. But in today's age, I'd want to know like, well, what, what are you reading? What are you watching? What have you learned about marketing since you decided you were interested in this? I, I, th mm -hmm. I think I'd have a lot more questions about how you're willing to self-motivate because that's the only part of the question that made me feel, I guess, at the end of the day, uncomfortable was it seemed like everything was in, uh, being laid at the employer's feet to solve their problem of little experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't see enough of the, and I'm willing to do whatever it takes kind of, but again, it was just a quick question. Right. So especially marketing, there's so much, if you are the only person there on your own, there's so much Googling to figure out the answer. And then you have to like, exactly trust that person to figure out who is trustworthy to give mm -hmm. you the information. Mm -hmm. I think that's the, where I think there's different age groups in life where they, to me, it's obvious when someone is a terrible person to listen to on mm -hmm. the internet. I think there's different age groups that don't see that. And they're the ones that, you know, send money to Nigerian princes and princesses and all that stuff. <laughs> like they just don't have that filter. I don't know. Like it's, I don't know. Um, so that would go in there. I think that's like millennials have that, but I think the younger, like my sister, she graduated this year. Like, I don't think she has that filter of like who I can trust to get good information from. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah. yeah. We'll read a I couple of reasons. Oh, well, I was just going to say, you know, to Andrew's point, it's like, you know, what's the bandwidth on the manager slash training side? It's like, you know, if you, if you have the time to mentor somebody and bring them in and get them some experience, you know, like I think about when we hire online sales, they're going through our training program. So we can, we can train them and we can teach them how to do all those things as long as they have a good attitude. But if you and good, you know, like you're saying, motivated and proactive and all those things. But if you don't have any sort of, you know, bringing them up through the ranks type of program, that makes it hard. So, yeah, you know, I, they, I think on the oh, online sales side and then the marketing side, like I think the great marketers that I know like to create things or build things, like tinker with things, like that's kind of like. Mm -hmm. Whether that's their full time, what they're doing all the time, but they've always done things like that. And I'm sure on the online sales side, there's something that like really good online mm -hmm. sales people have always done this type of thing. Maybe like yeah. they always have some sort of customer service, like they customer just service background. Emails. Exactly. Yeah. Something so like that. Versus yep. someone, I don't know, who's mm -hmm. very char charismatic and they're like extrovert. Like, will they be a great single person marketer? I don't know. Can they lead a marketing department? Probably extremely well. Yeah. Right. Like it's kind like, of also my, um, my niece was shocked. She just graduated from university of Cincinnati and she was dead set on having a 4.0 when she graduated. So she just her senior year was all kinds of stress. And I kept telling her, Madison, like I am more skeptical of hiring someone who has perfect 4.0 than I am someone who has a couple B's and C's. And she's like horrified. And <laughs> what, Why? how is that possible? I mean, I'm working my butt off to get all A's. I know, but what, Part of what you want to understand is when someone encounters struggle and difficulty, do they just get a D? Do they drop the course? 
or do they push through and get a B here and there or a C here and there? It's okay. Right. No one is perfect. Um, and I, so just to read a couple of comments here from everyone who participated, Sean said 100% from a sales perspective, I actually don't prefer to hire experienced salespeople as salespeople. I want to hire people who are great at building a relationship. Then we can teach them to sell kind of what you were saying, Jen. Mm-hmm. Aaron from Ideal, 100% if they have a penchant for learning new things and are interested in more than just one part of the business, they might be a great candidate. That's another great I- opportunity there is if you're just willing to learn, then whether you start in marketing or sales or admin mm-hmm. roles, eventually you might end up being in a whole other part of the business and that, yeah. that right. that's great too. Um, Laura says, if they have that marketing gene, if you if you will, then yes, I've tried to teach people marketing, but if they don't have the passion... And hardwired general marketing understanding, it's hard to teach that. I would say curiosity too. You got As a marketer, you have to be mm. curious and be asking why. Uh, you can tell the different, difference by asking people to give feedback on your website or other designs you have. Those with the marketing gene will know things without even having formal education. It's an interesting point too. All right, one more. Mark says, yes, but only if you yourself are committed to continue growth and learning in the field. That's Oh, wait, Meredith Oliver as well. I have a psych undergrad degree and a communications technology Masters, no formal marketing degree, and I wouldn't have it any other way. I love marketing. Oh, and Mr. Van Dyke. Wow, we got all kinds of celebrity. Yeah, John. And Sean's hiring. I had zero marketing experience, but figured a few things out along the way. The pay for the position will reflect their experience, but I'd also want a person with zero experience on a path with specific milestones to hit. Awesome. Yeah, and Sean's also looking for a marketer for his company as well right now. Milestones. Woo! That was a whirlwind. Jen, this is... Man. one of my favorite I, episodes ever. I was caffeinated was the great. whole time. Hey. I'm glad I did I it. I had so much fun. It we'll was We'll wrap awesome. it up. For published articles, blog posts, videos, and more, check out doyouconvert.com. It's also the best way to find out how to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and everywhere else we are online. We'll see you next week. See ya. See ya. See ya.